As we begin, let me remind you that the church was only weeks old when it began to face difficulty. Now, that's not to say things weren't going well for the church. They were going very well. Thousands had been added to the church through repentance and faith. They were then baptized. The believers were meeting together publicly in spite of opposition. There was no fear in them. They were gathering also in homes daily for fellowship. There was an incredible sharing of their resources. There was even an even greater sharing of their faith in the resurrected Jesus. It was, it was a, an uncommon type of community. God's people in the early part of Acts were increasingly living as God's people, holy and humble. Still, they were facing difficulty. Namely, the difficulty of, of hostility and persecution uh, to their leaders and especially to Peter. In fact, if you're not aware of Peter's trajectory of difficulty and hostility, it's seen in Acts 4, 5, and 12. In Acts 4, they're witnessing the healing of a lame man, and the next day they're brought in before the magistrates, the religious leaders, and they're questioned and they're ordered not to do this anymore. Quit preaching Jesus, to which Peter says, um, think what you want, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. Acts 5 rolls around, they keep preaching Jesus, then Peter and others are arrested. This time they're questioned and they're beaten, but they're miraculously delivered. And Peter says to the church, let's pray for boldness to keep preaching Jesus. Acts 12 rolls around. James is already martyred. Peter's now arrested for a third time. He's in prison, beaten, and an angel shows up and says, Peter, I'll make sure you get out to keep preaching Jesus. Acts records three times Peter faced incredible persecution, difficulty, hostility. Fortunately, Peter wasn't a stranger to difficulty, to hostility. He had experienced it just months before. Do you recall the Garden of Gethsemane? There was hostility there when they came to arrest Jesus. There was hostility a few hours later when he was being questioned as a follower of Jesus. You belong to him, right? Now let's admit in all frankness, Peter didn't fare too well in those moments, right? But man, God brought him back, restored him through repentance. He became the primary spokesman for the church in Jerusalem. He eventually became the, the missionary to the Gentiles outside of Jerusalem. And so Peter knew hostility. In fact, I would say to you that the very hostility that, that he had experienced at specific times was the very tool God used to help make him more holy. And so when persecution widened in Acts chapter 8, and it was spreading to the, the, the whole church, dispersing many of them from their homes and, and pushing them out into other regions such as Judea, Samaria, even Antioch, Peter would not only be supernaturally inspired to write about that, I think he was uniquely humanly qualified to write about suffering and difficulty and hostility. That it was not an obstacle to holiness, it was instead an opportunity for it. It wasn't in opposition to what God was doing, actually it was part and parcel to what God was doing. So no wonder he would write these verses to those believers who were dispersed in the very first letter he wrote, chapter 2, verse 21. Read this with me. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Notice Peter here says that that suffering, that hostility, that persecution, it's what you have been called to. There's no accidental you know, uh, mistake here. He says we have an example to follow so that we can actually do that. Follow. There's nothing optional in Peter's thinking. This kind of life of enduring and embracing, even welcoming hostility because of the gospel, man, it's, it's non-negotiable. It's mandatory. In fact, I would say this verse is not only the key verse of the whole first book of 1 Peter, it's actually the summary of his life. This summarizes Peter's life and letter. He always connected our calling as saints to our calling to suffer. And so for the rest of 2022, with the exception of a couple of breaks for some other matters, we're going to be spending our time in this book of 1 Peter. And our end game in prayer is this. Lord, teach me that hostility is truly an opportunity for greater holiness. Show me how suffering is actually your sovereign tool for deeper sanctification. And as we unpack this book over the next 11 months, I want us to begin by getting a a good foothold on it by reading the entire book together at one sitting. Our elders did this several months ago as we were prepping for this series. It took us about 15 minutes. It might take us a little longer this morning, but it will be very healthy for us spiritually to hear the flow of this first letter all in one sitting, to have it weigh upon us and dig into us and and, uh, clamp itself to us and blanket us. It's the word of God that brings change. So what do you say, as we begin this journey now, we sit under the entire letter in one flow. Here's how we're gonna do this. I'm gonna ask that you help me do this. And we're gonna read this congregationally together. I'm gonna ask that if you choose to read, that you read slowly, clearly, Carefully, I invite moms, dads, older people, teenagers, upper elementary. If you can read pretty well and can read slowly and distinctly and can can read clearly, then join us. And we're going to use these two mics here. Now, on the screen behind me will be the passages. Let me show you an example. There will be one side of the screen that will say uh, current and the next will say next. And so if you're on my right Then we'll start with that one, with verse three. I'll read the first two verses to start us off in a moment. And then the person on my right will read three through nine. And then we'll bounce over here to the mic on my left and they'll read the next portion. On the screen will always be the current text and then the next text. So you'll be able to see what your passage is and you'll just know when to come in and read. So I'd encourage, even while we're reading, even now, go ahead and kind of line up. We have 18 sections. And I think it will be a beautiful thing to hear God's word read over us as a church perhaps similar to how they may have read it in those early days, not sure exactly historically. We kind of think that, but it could have been different. But it will be beautiful. I wanted to hear God's word read by God's people in its entirety, this letter, before we dive into it verse by verse. So feel free to make your way to the front even now. We're gonna kind of use this format. Both these mics will start with the right, we'll go to the left, and just form a line. And when it's your turn to read, take your cue from the screen, the reference there, and then read slowly, clearly, methodically. We prefer, at least in this moment, the ESV, but if you have other translations, it's okay. Don't be afraid uh, or worried, but that's the one we used to preach out of. So I'll read the verses one and two. You go ahead and get set and get lined up. When there's not people to read, I'll go ahead and jump in and read. Hopefully, by the time I'm done, there'll be 18 of you ready to go. Hint, hint. All right, I'm gonna read verses one and two of 1 Peter 1. Here it is, the 21st book of the New Testament, 
from beginning to end in one sitting. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that who was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of the Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formerly ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that to your faith and hope, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house and to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority, authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who justifies justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the same way, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless 
for this is for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil now who is here to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, be, he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirit in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt, but from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience, through re the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers being submitted or subjected to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was now also preached to those who are now dead, so that, all that although they might be judged in the flesh according to the human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer 
as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples as to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your, all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen, church. Amen. What a beautiful moment for us to be able to hear that entire letter just in one sitting. And there is much we could say about it, and we will over the next 11 months, all right? Today, I simply want to do one thing. I want to show you what I think are the two major sections or themes that, um, that really comprise the book as far as its structure and the way it's put together. And what we see is that really there is a bridge occurring around verse oh, 11 of chapter 2. Will you look that in your Bible with me? Just put a finger on chapter 2, verse 11. And beginning there is this, is this bridge to the kind of conduct and the kind of uh, actions that are, are expected for someone who is positioned in Christ. And that occurs before verse 11 of chapter 2. So what you see is really chapter 1, verses 1 through about chapter 2, verse 10. His discussion is really a, 
um, an exclamation of our secure position. There's much in there about salvation, redemption, God's work in choosing us and saving us and how this is done through non-perishable uh, things. This is done through, through him and him alone. And, and so you see a lot about salvation up to about verse um, uh, 10. Now, there is a little bit of a tangent in the middle of two, but for the most part, you see, this is all about our secure position in Christ because of God's work. And then he shifts to talking about really what is our certain privilege because we're in this position. And what I love about Peter's epistle is this. While we often think, great, I've got this secure position in Christ, so everything's rosy. Everything's going to be good, even physically or humanly. It's going to be like a lazy river. He actually says that it's our privilege to suffer, to be reviled, to be maligned, to be persecuted, to experience difficulty. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? And I would suggest to you that what Peter is doing is showing that, that not only is the latter possible because of the former, I think he's saying that the holiness that God is building us in us actually occurs in, in part because of the latter. The hostility that we can endure because we're God's holy people, it actually helps us become more holy. And that's why we see it as a privilege. James would agree with this. If you read James 1, he says there that then all of us are going to experience various trials, but we should rejoice in them because that's God's tool for perfecting us, for completing us, for maturing us. So church, as we, as we kind of explore this book now over the next 11 months, I want you to see that this is really the way it's structured and really what Peter's aiming at in every section. We are secure in Christ. We have a secure position. God has done the work to make us his people. Amen. But that does not exempt us from a life that may encounter hostility, persecution. After all, it didn't exempt Christ. Remember the key verse? He left us an example to follow in his steps. And Peter says, this is what we have been called to. And so our secure position actually affords us this certain privilege to suffer for Jesus, to encounter hostility because of Christ, to endure difficulty through his power and as a way also to empower us for greater holiness. Peter connects the two. He doesn't separate them. They work together. It's a tandem duet here. So that's why I think we could summarize not only this letter, but Peter's life in this single sentence. I'm gonna give you a single sentence for the entire book. Can we try that this morning? Here's what I'd say would be a simple way to see the entire book of 1 Peter, knowing how it's structured and how, how it's kind of broken in these two parts. Here's what I'd say, that we are his people with this privilege, suffering. Now, as his people, we are holy. And the privilege of suffering is often hostility. Well, often we want to see these then as separate items, but the truth is they're not. They are connected. And this is how great our God is that he not only makes us his holy people in spite of suffering and hostility, he actually uses that to help us be his people. So God not only does his work in spite of difficulty, he uses difficulty to get his work done. And Peter showcases this in a beautifully convicting way and that's where we're going to be for the next 11 months, under this incredible uh, blanket of conviction that we have the privilege. Can I use the word pleasure? The opportunity 
to endure hostility, to suffer, to encounter difficulty as God's chosen holy people. That's what we're going to encounter. And I'm praying that it will just increase the commitment in your heart to remain steadfast and true to being God's people. So when you read this simple take-home truth that I think summarizes both his life and his letter together, church, we're his people with this privilege, suffering. And what kind of people are we? Holy. And what kind of suffering do we often experience? Hostility. And Peter's aim is to make sure that we do this. We remain holy in the middle of hostility. You can and you will because you belong to Christ and you're secure. And so embrace the certain privilege that's, about, that's, about, that's bound to come your way, church. I don't know much about this privilege, to be frank with you. But I do recall a couple of times when I had a, a small window into it. One of them was the only time in my life I've ever been called a jackass. I was in aisle three of the dollar store. I'm not trying to be funny here. I uh, was buying some cards. And someone a few feet away said, there's that jackass of a pastor. So I looked over and I won't go into the story, but there were a couple of people who um, just don't like me and our church. By the way, you're probably included in that label. And it, it was for biblical theological reasoning. And I responded, I think, with grace. And they didn't have any desire to chat, but they repeated their slander. So I just smiled and said, it was good to see you. I also recall the time I received a phone call on a Sunday afternoon from a guest who had been here four times. After their fourth visit, they called and they said to me, hey, we just want you to know we'll never be back to a church so filled with hatred and bigotry. I can't believe you think marriage is only between a man and a woman. You are so narrow-minded, we'll never be back. What made that especially difficult was that they just lived down the street from me. I see them. I knew I'd see them again. I think I ended the conversation politely and gracefully. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they interpreted it. Let me say that. And so, so like I said, I don't know if that's even hostility. It's the only two times that I can think of in 17 years here where I've had moments of being reviled or slandered. But you know what? God used both of those to create in me deeper holiness. It was a privilege to endure that. I needed to learn a better pastoral posture. I needed to learn greater dependence on the Lord. And in my mind, I suspect God knew there's probably only one way, Todd, you're going to learn this. And he allowed me the privilege of experiencing a small taste of a little hostility reviling, malignment, slander. I have no idea what Peter must have gone through when beaten or jailed, eventually crucified upside down for the Lord, or even other folks that were in this early church. He says in this book, you know, that that kind of persecution was known by the brotherhood across the world. So I really don't have a, 
a sense of what they were going through, except in, that, in those two small windows in which I say, oh, so that's what hostility must be like in some way, and I'm to count that as a privilege, yes, because not only is that a privilege to be known as God's people, but that is actually what God uses to make me more like his son. So my commitment to you, let's continue to embrace our position as God's people, knowing that it's through the very hostility that may come our way that God will increase our conformity to Christ's image. He will continue to make us holy as he is holy. And often it's through the very thing that we think we don't want, but we actually need, and that could be hostility, persecution, or difficulty. My prayer is that you'll be in, and the next 11 months will show us exactly how to pursue holiness in the midst of hostility. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.